Orbital Gardens, this is Mission Control. We are confirming acquisition of your signal. You are live in 5, 4, 3, 2... Hello and welcome to Gardens of the Galaxy, the podcast for all of the sentient beings of the universe who have a passion for plants. I'm Emma the Space Gardener and I will be your host as we explore gardening on Earth and beyond. When I was recording the last episode with Sam and Luke, Sam asked me what my origin story was, how I became interested in astrobotany. I did talk about that for the first anniversary of the show in episode 27. That's a fun episode featuring the space plants experiment you'll never forget, so go back and have a listen if you missed it. Our mission specialist for today's episode is Susan Young, who has written a new book called Growing Beans. When you look into the history of growing beans in space, there isn't much. There have been some student experiments growing mung beans or aduki beans, but with NASA focusing on crops that can be eaten raw with minimal processing, fresh beans aren't currently on the astronaut menu. Looking ahead to the deep space missions and communities on the Moon or on Mars, beans are a top choice. Hopefully we will begin to see more work being done to grow them in space and on other planets. Susan's book focuses on French beans that grow well in the UK climate. We have a grand tradition of growing them for fresh green beans together with the related runner beans. Way back in 2009, I attended an anthropology event at Kew Gardens. One of the day's highlights was the presence of Gordon Hillman, a legendary archaeobotanist who is sadly no longer with us. Gordon investigated plants during the crossover between the Mesolithic and Neolithic periods when humans were transitioning from being primarily hunter-gatherers to a more settled existence as farmers. He came to the attention of a wider audience in the Wild Food TV series and books with Ray Mears. If you'd like to know more about Gordon Hillman, I found two brilliant obituaries. The first in The Guardian is very much about his outstanding academic work. The second is by Ray Mears, and far more personal, noting that Gordon was, like me, a big fan of The Lord of the Rings. I'll put the links in the show notes for you, which you can find at theunconventionalgardener.com. More relevant for today's topic is another encounter I had at that show. I was attracted to a stand with a large display of French bean seeds. They had been collected by Dr Simon Platten, an ethnobotanist. At that time, Simon was investigating the informal seed swapping networks on UK allotments, and he'd collected the bean seeds through a variety of swaps and exchanges. Me being me, I didn't talk to very many people at that event at Kew, but I did talk to Simon and he said to me, you should come to Kent and study ethnobotany. And three years later, that's exactly what I did. The visual diversity of bean seeds is amazing, and each variety was bred for different growing conditions or for a particular purpose. Here in the UK, we don't have a tradition of growing beans for shelling, fresh or dried, or a culinary tradition of using shelled beans. And that's something Susan Young would like to change, as she explains in her book. Hi Susan, it's great to meet you. Thank you for coming on the show today. Oh, I'm very delighted to be here and to talk with you. I've been looking forward to it. So we're here to talk about your book and your passion for beans. So if we can start at the very beginning, how did you develop such a passion for beans? Well, in the days before, I was quite so concerned about my uh, how many miles I travelled and the, the, the carbon emissions that I was thereby creating. Uh, we were fortunate enough to travel to South America for two quite long holidays and that's where I really fell in love with beans and discovered beans. We ate a lot of beans, of course, but more importantly, I saw them in the markets. And I had just no idea at the sheer variety of beans, all the different shapes and sizes and colours 
um, and the different ways that they could be could be cooked and served. And that's what really opened my eyes. And I saw them growing in the fields like any gardener. I was always looking over the little fences into people's little growing plots um, to see how they were growing them and what was growing. And also or they were growing often in fields with corn, as is traditional in, in South America. Yeah. So I became fascinated with beans, really. Brought some back in little paper bags, probably illegally through <laughs> custom. Let's not talk about that. Um, and then and then tried growing them. And I mean, they didn't all grow that successfully. And some of them were, you know, some of them were a bit strange, but, but one or two were really delicious. And uh, I still grow them as a Mexican black bean, which I still grow. And, and so I was hooked. And then I suppose what then became interesting to me was what beans there were in Europe and the gradual realisation. Again, I had the opportunity to travel with work through Europe a lot. And I was always in the markets poking around looking for beans and gradually realised that there are different traditions, different types of beans in different parts of Europe and different bean cuisines located in different different areas and very much tied to localities uh, and so that's what aroused my interest in in European beans and when the idea of trying to find to trial varieties and try them out more systematically in my own garden when I had that idea I decided I had to draw the line somewhere and to focus on European beans was the, the way forward really because nobody had explored uh, that's what the book is about, really, trying to awaken our interest in, in all this variety. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing how much diversity there is in, in basically what we're talking about is a, a single species, the French beans. So, I mean, you know, they look different, yes. they taste different, they cook differently. You yes, spend a lifetime do. exploring them, couldn't you? Well, there are just thousands and thousands. I mean, the, the Leipzig Institute, where they've got some kind of seed bank and they've got a collection of beans, has 10,000, over 10,000 varieties. And that's from Europe. And what they're, they've been very interested to start collecting them from the former Eastern Bloc countries. So going right across through uh, through Croatia, Bulgaria, Romania. We, we travelled in Romania and, and also in Albania and, you know, found people just growing beans in their in their homesteads yeah. because they have they will have quite large plots where they're growing growing vegetables for themselves and uh, i have to confess i might have stolen a few from it's <laughs> from, very from tempting isn't it? <laughs> well i know they're growing there and i thought well you know it was september and they were just ripening nicely on the vines it was just you know just a teeny weeny bit yeah <laughs> yes just a little bit and they, they had a whole row i mean how could they miss a, a pod or two <laughs> but it was you know, it's it, it, there are just so many different types, and um, and different regions have focused on different types. So, so the Greeks, of course, have these very large white beans, and those are co much more common in Eastern Europe than than the kind of runner beans that we have. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, there are two two fasciolus varieties. So there's fasciolus vulgaris, which is the, the French bean, of course, and then there's the, the runner bean, fasciolus cochineus. And cochineus is much less grown to be a, a podding, a shelling bean than vulgaris. But nevertheless, in Eastern Europe, they've developed these big white beans from fasciolus cochineus. And they don't, and the pods are just string. I don't know if you've grown them, but the, the pods, no. are, you know, Greek beans. But the pods are just papery. You you wouldn't want to eat them. They they very quickly go papery, um, and and they're little squat pods of a, with about four huge beans in. 
but they grow ever so easily in in our climate and of course one of the things I discovered as I went thinking and looking and finding out more and more about beans is that in the more southerly European countries they're having to find mountainous areas up in the hills and up in the valleys up in the cool valleys to grow them in order to have the to find the right climate so we think of them growing in hot Mediterranean areas and that's not the case they're 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 struggling to find cooler areas to grow the beans up in the mountains of Greece say but what the, the advantage they do have of course in southern Europe is is those lovely long autumn yes. sunny dry days that, that we don't have to ripen them um so that's the the disadvantage that we have we have to pick them or dry them or whatever yeah okay so i mean we've talked a little bit up here about how limited our use of beans in the uk is and we tend to just grow if we grow beans to grow them as green beans and not for uh, what we're talking about here which is dried beans or even that intermediate stage where they're like peas for shelling yes so, I mean, for you, what are the sort of main benefits of us expanding our horizons into these sort of more mature beans? Uh, well, shall I t- talk about the health benefits or the, the, the planetary benefits? There are all these ones. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, it's just a win-win, isn't it? Because they're very good for us. I mean, there's all sorts of, you know, expanding information about how important it is for us to have fibre in our diets and to have that kind of carbohydrate that beans have that's very slow to digest. And then, of course, there's all the the planetary benefits. They have a symbiotic relationship with bacteria in the soil that help them to just take nitrogen from the air and and turn it into plant food. So it's a win-win. And it's one of the things that, that we need to be clear about, though, is the fact that you can grow the beans in a low nitrogen soil and they don't need they're very, very obliging and they're, they're very light on the soil and they'll, they'll grow very happily in a quite, not a poor soil exactly, but they, they'll grow very happily in, in plain soil, let's say. They don't need a lot of feeding. And then they're making, converting all that nitrogen and into the beans itself. But if you wanted to leave the nitrogen back in the soil, you'd have to cut the beans when they're flowering, which of course is defeating the object of getting yeah. the crop from. So actually, they don't leave nitrogen back in the soil. Legumous crops used for uh, as green manures do because you cut them at the flowering stage and leave them behind. But it's not true that beans are leaving nitrogen in the soil. They leave a tiny bit and it's still worth leaving the roots behind. But but it's a bit of a myth, a gardening myth that they're making the soil nitrogen rich. Okay. So, I mean, from a gardening perspective, if we're used to growing beans for green beans, how hard is it to then transition to growing um, and harvesting them at a a later stage? Is it tricky? It's not tricky at all. I mean, obviously, dwarf beans are going to be quicker than, than growing climbing beans. So if you want to be certain of getting a crop for drying, it's a good idea to grow to grow dwarf beans. And some of the Good varieties for growing as dwarf beans to dry are quite big plants. So they're they're, they're taller. We're rather used to French beans being on these little compact plants. But some of the bulkier, bigger varieties of dwarf beans will then produce quite a big pod of of beans. 
and and they're worthwhile to grow because they you can harvest them earlier and you can and you can also cut the whole thing off and hang it up to dry when the pods are ready so that's one way to get around the the kind of fact that they need a long period from from sowing to harvesting and also the other thing with dwarf beans is that the pods all tend to come to to being ready at the same stage I mean you do need to still go around checking them Uh, with climbing beans there's going to be a longer period to to when you can harvest them and of course it it all depends how early you've you've managed to start them and with what kind of autumn we have it's really the damp that that gets the and and then the beans go moldy rather than the cold yeah so when the pods form and then the the beans start to, to to form quickly inside and one thing to say is that the beans that have been bred to be shelling so the more heritage varieties that have been bred to be shelling the beans will form more quickly inside and fatten up because our french beans that have been bred to be good as french beans have been deliberately bred so that the beans don't really form inside yeah and the bean stays as a green bean for much longer so in other words so the beans do start swelling up inside more quickly than you would imagine and then obviously the, the pod is green with the fat beans inside then the pod starts to thin um, and goes usually goes a rather sort of yellow, a pale colour. And from that stage on, you can start to pick them. So because we like to eat the beans fresh, which is a, a, a very, very good way of eating them, and I'm often picking the beans at that stage when the pods are just starting to thin. And so I go around the plants and pick whatever's ready yeah. and then bring it in and pod it. And if we're not eating them straight away, which is, you know, we do, we eat a lot when they're ripe, then you could just throw them in a bag in the freezer, which is wonderful. So you've got bags of fresh beans and then you save yourself all the drying and soaking and cooking process. Then from that thin sort of yellowy pod stage, the pods will then go brown and and much drier and papier and the the beans are starting to dry on on the plant. So in our climate, to be perfectly honest, we're lucky if they start getting to that stage. It all depends on how the autumn is, you know, whether the days are dry and sunny. So then you either cutting the dwarf plant up and hanging it up somewhere to carry on drying or you're picking the beans uh, off the climbing beans and putting them in baskets so I do end up with a lot of baskets all around the place with different or boxes cardboard boxes with the beans spread out and I'm a bit careless but you know if you just sort of toss them turn them over and make sure they're drying nicely and obviously to dry them thoroughly is very important so yeah. I usually leave them for a week or two just in baskets and keep moving them around so that they, they, I'm sure they're drying. And then if I want to be absolutely certain, we, we've got a boiler that's just a little bit warm most of the time, I'll put them on the boiler in an airing cupboard or something because they do have to be dry, yeah. absolutely bone dry. And if you take one bean and sort of press your thumbnail, if your fingernail, into the bean it's completely dry if you can't make a mark on the bean so it, you know it's important and then there's a stage of podding them so with me I just sit and watch the telly and pod them because it's uh, I find it a very satisfying that lovely cracking feeling of, of opening the, the, the pods and, and shelling the beans and then storing them in jars I don't worry too much about getting all the little tiny chaff out of out of it when at that stage because as soon as you put them into a bowl of water to soak them all the little tiny bits float to the surface and you just skim them off so I don't worry about kind of going through what would be a, a sort of winnowing process or anything like that but 
if you've got if there are a lot of bits in there, I find I can just you could just blow them away or blow them away with a hairdryer or something. So and then um, put them into airtight jars and store them. I think I've covered every stage of the process there. Can you think of anything I've left out? like it. Left yeah. out. No, it's just, and it's not, I don't know. I just, I think I've loved jars of things that I'm storing. I always used to love bottling fruit and stuff and jam, you know, and I just, I, I like the store yeah. cupboard thing, you know, these things stored away. It's just a, always a satisfying feeling. But I would recommend picking the beans as fresh and storing them in the freezer. So we tend to have both dried beans and fresh beans in the freezer because then you can just take out a couple of handfuls of beans from the freezer and, yeah. and cook them in the normal time it would take to cook anything like broad beans or peas from the freezer. And you haven't got to think in advance to soak them. Okay. That sounds mm. brilliant. Uh, so while I was reading your book, I had this sort of overwhelming urge to plant more beans this year. So I rifled through my seed box um, and I found something from the Heritage Seed Library, which is Vermont Cranberry. So it's a, a dwarf French bean for shelling. So I now have about a dozen Vermont Cranberry growing in troughs in my front garden. Excellent. So I'm going to try all this out this year. Excellent. Yeah, <laughs> excellent. I know. Well, I This year I, I'm treating myself to just growing the ones that I absolutely want to eat and not trying all the different ones that I was and last year I grew everything that was in the book and more because I just wanted to be sure I wasn't yeah. writing any nonsense about anything um, and we just had beans everywhere a friend of mine <laughs> who has a very large plot um, but they had to grow yeah. beans for me so they had a great big plot of beans <laughs> but they were growing they grew all the Dutch ones I think for me but this year I'm just growing about 12 you know just 12 just 12 yeah so um uh, because I love them so much okay so I mean you've talked about exploring the beans of Europe and looking into the sort of various culinary traditions which of course we don't have here have you discovered a favorite way to eat your beans well this is where I have to confess that I don't cook the beans I don't do the cooking it's my husband who is the cook you know I grow the, everything and then he he cooks it and he's very good at at taking what I've grown in the garden because there, I think there's a real art isn't there of, of kind of taking what's there growing is. and knowing and particularly what's what's growing at the moment and then you know cooking so the more I've grown and and, and eaten beans I think the more the more we've come down to eating them in in very simple ways so I think there's nothing nicer than a dish of very fresh beans just picked cooked with with herbs and garlic and served just as they are in in their broth uh, so we 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 do less and less of them in a way and the other favorite way of, of eating them is to cook them in tomato sauce which is you know again a very classic way of serving yeah. the sort of greek dish of, of of beans in tomato sauce um so we i because i grow a lot of tomatoes we also have the, the tomato sauce so we, we 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 do that a lot but i don't do anything complicated i do grow them mexican black beans and we have those as with, with mexican dishes turned into refried beans and it only works with with turtle beans. We've tried making the same kind of thing with other beans, and it doesn't seem to have quite the same texture because you need the tiny bean with the, with the with the black skins that that gives it that particular texture yeah. and taste. So yeah, so no complicated recipes for me, <laughs> I'm afraid. Okay, so I mean, you mention a lot of bean varieties in the book, and even then, that's just the tip of the iceberg, and you whittle that down to a, a must grow list of six. 
But if you were going into space, you were going out on a deep space mission, um, and you could only take one of your bean varieties with you, which one would you choose and why? Well, thank you for this question, because it has, I have been thinking about it quite quite carefully because you were kind enough to give me advance warning of it and obviously I realized that that climbing beans would be a complete disaster a little <laughs> tricky yes with all that floating uh, long vines floating in weightlessness would be a nightmare so obviously it has to be a dwarf one and then I thought well it would be better to be a, a very compact dwarf bean which is the um, Hungarian rice bean or its rather fancy name is Comtesse de Chambord, but uh, let's stick with Hungarian rice bean because it's easier to say. So that's a little compact bean, which they bred to be a forcing bean. So it's going to be quite happy in in, in rather confined conditions if it's being grown in, in, in slightly more, let's say, uh, artificial conditions, which it might have to be if it was taken into space. Also, the other advantage of the Hungarian rice bean is you can eat, you can eat the green beans. They're very nice. And so it would provide food right the way through from green beans to dried beans. The, the dried beans are very tiny, but they're very delicious. The disadvantage of the Hungarian rice bean is that the beans are very close to the soil. And so they, I usually grow them in a container because they would otherwise, the slugs get them. And in my garden, the mice eat the beans. But I'm assuming if we were growing in outer space, then there would be no nasty little slugs or, or no little <laughs> alien mice. Fingers crossed. No alien mice who would come <laughs> along and eat the beans so they could grow quite happily and crop without they without would, being yeah. at risk to any of these little other things that would come along and munch them. Brilliant. I think that's a brilliant choice. In actual fact, of all the ones that you mentioned in the book, that was the one that intrigued me the most, the Hungarian yeah. rice bean. Very, very tempting to go out and try and find some of those. So, yeah. <laughs> They're one of the more easily available ones because one of the snags with, with trying to choose the six that I would recommend was that I had to choose things that, that you could at least have some chance of, of obtaining because of the, um, yeah. the Brexit res restrictions. Now we can't order from overseas except there yeah. are ways around it. But... Secret bean club. I know. Well, and, and, and making friends with uh, you know small independent seed growers and things like that. Yes, having friends in the yeah, right places. Yeah, yes. yes. So that's absolutely brilliant, Susan. Thank you for coming on the show today and, and telling us all about your fabulous beans. And I will put the details of your book in the show notes for everybody. But that's Growing Beans, A Diet for Healthy People and Planet. So thank you so much for being our guest today. Well, thank you for having me. That's it for this episode. Thanks again to my patrons for supporting the show and don't forget that you can sign up to the Gardeners of the Galaxy newsletter for new episode alerts and bonus astrobotany content. I'll put that link in the show notes for you which you can find on my website at theunconventionalgardener.com. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Orbital Gardens, this is Mission Control. Confirming termination of your signal. The technicians want me to tell you that they're not sure about the fungi experiment. They think it will take up too much room.